We are in week three of a new series called Mastermind. And um, over the past three weeks, we've talked about certain things, all involving changing our thinking and then changing our life. So the first week, we talked about thinking about what we should think about. And the second week, we talked about tackling temptation. If you miss any of the messages in our series, you can go online to our website. You can check us out in the iTunes podcast or uh, the Google Play Store, and you can listen to the messages to catch up. But today is message number three, and the title of my message is Forging Forgiveness. So I think that a lot of times we have a, a battle inside of our mind. I shared with you at the beginning of the series that some of the seed thoughts from this series are taken from a famous or a very popular book uh, called The Battlefield of the Mind, written by Joyce Meyer. And uh, she actually has another book on forgiveness. I haven't read through that one, uh, but I, I can assume that it's got some good information in there for you. And you've no doubt heard countless stories that may be tugged on your heartstrings about someone forgiving someone else. And I want to share with you today what I think is one of the most important and impactful stories ever told about forgiveness. Uh, spoiler alert, you're in church and this is about God. Okay? <laughs> Thousands of years ago, God created man and woman in his image with a free will and he placed them in a place called Eden, in a garden, a beautiful place. But he gave them a will, and one day they exercised that will, but they made the wrong choice. How many of you have ever made the wrong choice? Yeah. Their disobedience brought devastation, it brought destruction, and it also brought death. It brought it to all humanity. They set us on a course to live in opposition to God. This is what the message of the Bible and the scripture is for us to understand that God immediately initiated his plan of redemption that was put into place long before our sin ever was committed or ever done. He used various people, and I love the Old Testament. There are some churches that just preach out of the New Testament, but if you were with us in our Leviticus series, you know we're not afraid okay, of the Old Testament. We love the whole Bible, and in the, in the Old Testament, God used various people throughout history and a group of people known as the Israelites then, but we know them now today as the Jews. And he said, one day I will send one who will complete my work, the work of redemption, Jesus is his name. So through God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ, through his substitutionary death, he took your place on a cross and died for your sins. And through his victorious resurrection from the dead, not even death could defeat him. He was brought to new life again, and because of that victory, we have redemption of sins, the Bible says, and we can be forgiven for our individual wrongs. This is really important for us to understand, and God's plan will one day culminate. It will culminate in the fact that we, those who have been forgiven will be restored and be in his presence with him. And if you haven't read the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it talks about Eden, the garden of God, being restored, and we will live there with him in eternity. This is good news 
In fact, I'll use a superlative. It's the greatest news. It's not just good news, amen? But the greatest news ever given to you and I is that humanity, any single one of us, can be granted forgiveness by God for our sins. We can be given his forgiveness. There are three things you must do. The first thing is this. You must believe that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten son, that he took the punishment for your sins, that he died and that he rose again on the third day. Then you must confess your sins. You must speak them out. I'm a fan of this. (laughs) I'm a fan of this, not for you, but for me. Uh, Confess your sins. Whenever I've prayed with individuals who say, Pastor, I want to turn my life over to God, and I tell them that this is part of it, I say, don't just say, God, forgive me. You think about those things that you have done, and you confess out loud to the Lord, God, please forgive me for lying, for theft, for this, for that, for dishonor, whatever it is. You mention those things out loud, confess your sins, the Bible says, And he is just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But that's not it. You've got to then turn from your sins and you've got to choose daily to live in obedience to him. So believing comes easy. That's the easy part. Believing that God loves you and he sent someone to die for you. That's the easy part. It's the daily living in obedience that trips every one of us, myself included, up. So we've got to work on this. And I think one of the most challenging areas of obedience for those who have been forgiven is to forgive others. C.S. Lewis said this, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Right? Sure, it's easier said than done. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, another word for wrongs, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Verse 15 says, but if you do not forgive others their wrongs, neither will your father forgive yours. The truth is that God's forgiveness is conditional. I want you to just think about that for a moment. I am not preaching heresy. I am preaching the word of God plain and simple to you. And I'm telling you that his love and forgiveness are free and granted free, but they do come with strings attached. His love and his forgiveness, that thing for us, we have to understand is conditional because this is an important truth. In fact, Chris Bronze, who's the author of Unpacking Forgiveness, he says that God's forgiveness is a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent, that is, turn from their sins and believe so that they are reconciled to him. Although this commitment does not eliminate all consequences. I want you to understand something and maybe study this a little bit deeper a little bit later, but the truth and the reality is the gospel message that John the Baptist preached as well as what Jesus preached was that we should make the choice to turn from our sins and believe that he is the son of God. 
I think we've gotten it wrong. We've gotten to the place where we've spoken about, yes, you need to believe that God loves you and gave his son for you. And then we stop there and live however we choose to live. And we say, well, that's just how I am. God knows my struggle. He knows my problem. But the gospel that John preached and the gospel that Jesus preached said, you make the choice today to stop doing what you did do before and you start walking in obedience to the word of God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. I want to read to you a parable that Jesus shares and I want to break this down for you. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. It says this, then Peter came up and he said to him, I know you've probably heard this verse before. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Let me tell you some context. If you don't know this, the tradition in Judaism, in the Jewish thought and belief, was that you were top notch if you forgave someone three times. So Peter big bad boy that he is, says, I'm going to double that plus one. So yeah, I think, am I good if I do seven? What does Jesus have to say to him? Verse 22, it says, Jesus replies, I do not say to you just seven, but 70 times seven. That would be 490 for anybody that's not a math wizard. 490 times. I don't know about you, and if you've ever uh, kept a record of wrongs, okay, there are some of us that find that easy to do, but if you've ever kept a, a record of wrongs, it's hard to make it all the way up to 490. The whole point Jesus is making is that it is it should be unlimited. It should be that when they do something that needs your forgiveness, you should offer that forgiveness. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Everybody say 10,000. 10,000. A professor at Biola University, and Maddie, you'll appreciate this math. A professor at Biola University actually has calculated into our modern economy what it would be like in today's language if this was true today, using the talents, doing a conversion, multiplying it out, and he came up to the conclusion that this amount would be equal to $3 billion today. There's another scholar who actually looked at it and said, essentially in those days, in order to settle 10,000 talents worth of debt, you would have had to work the cumulative total of more than 200 years in order to pay back this debt. So it's a debt he owes, but he cannot pay. Verse 25, it says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his kids and all that he has and payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees. He implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) How how are you going to do that? 
He says in verse 27, it says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and everybody say forgave, forgave him the debt. Verse 28, but then when the same servant went out from there, he found one of his buddies, a fellow servant who owed him, it says there a hundred denarii. This same professor calculates this out to be $5,000 in today's modern economy. Do you understand the comparison between 3 billion and 5,000? He actually has the audacity to then ask this guy for the money and seize him. And the Bible says, and choke him and said, pay me what you owe me. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Familiar story. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Verse 30. He refused And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Don't you love friends who are snitches? (laughs) Right? This is awesome. It's even in the Bible this happens. It says, reported to their master all that has taken place. And verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you foul and wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. In other words, he's saying, because I had mercy on you. And verse 33, it says, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Verse 34 and in anger, okay, this, this would tick you off. If you were the master and you heard after you forgave the guy, he went and hit up some other guy who owed him just a few measly dollars compared to the amount that he just got forgiven. So he is burning with anger. It says in verse 34, he delivered him to the jailers. This is such a nice word. The actual original Greek word used here is those who torture. So he wasn't headed for a good place, okay? It says he was headed, handed him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Verse 35, so also, I'm just gonna let you read it. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. These are the words of Jesus. I didn't write this, so don't blame me. I'm preaching this message today because I think that you and I both need to understand that as it involves the mind and the games we play, the games we allow the enemy to play with us, one of the largest ingredients that's missing for many people is this ingredient of forgiveness. Can you even comprehend the mountain of debt that you owe God? Because of the sins that you've committed? You say, well, pastor, I haven't robbed. I haven't murdered. I haven't. But you've lived in disobedience against his word. And you've caused a mountain of debt to be owed to him. So compare that to the minute amount of debt. When you've been wronged by someone else. 
So how exactly does someone forge forgiveness? How do you create and how do you walk in forgiveness? You say, Pastor, I've tried to forgive, but it's so hard. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm here to tell you the good news is with God's strength and ability, you can do it. The bad news is you can never do it by yourself because it's unnatural. It literally does not come naturally to you. The only way you can do this is by God's grace. So let's talk about forgiveness, what it is and what it isn't. First, I want you to understand this. You cannot always control what happens to you, but you can always control your response to it. I think we need to understand this because in today's day and age, there's a victim mentality that says, well, you know, they did this to me and now I act like this because of this or whatever the case may be. But here's where we've gone off the deep end. We've gotten away from God's word at the very beginning when he says, I created man and woman, only two, and I created them with a free will to choose. When you absolve yourself from the personal responsibility that you have, then life gets really easy, but it also gets really messy. So you can't always control what happens to you. And I don't like that. I wish I could. But you can always control your response to it. Here's what forgiveness is, and I really encourage you to take notes or take some pictures of the screen today as these points come up. Forgiveness is this. It's an act of human free will to pardon an offender by which he is considered and treated as not guilty. It doesn't say he's not guilty. It says he's treated as one who is not guilty. So in the process of forgiving, the first barrier you have to get through is in your mind. You must make the decision. Look at me, church. Listen, you must make the decision. I will not dwell on this. This is, I'm teaching you mind control for what it's worth. You need to control your own mind. And many of us are living lives that are out of the loop of what God wants for us because we haven't taken some elementary steps in order to control what happens between right here. So you've got to make the decision that you will not dwell on the incident or on that person. Don't replay that incident in your mind. When the enemy wants to play that incident over and over, when he entices you, I've shared with you the story. I don't have time to go into it today. Many of you have heard it many times. But every time I, I see a Ford Ranger, the incident plays again in my mind. And I have to immediately stop and say, no. God, I thank you for all that I suffered I thank you for where you brought me from and I thank you where you brought me to. Lord, bless those individuals. Help them never to do that harm to anybody else. But God, I pray in the name, that's my prayer. Stop music, pull the car over, whatever I've got to do. I've had to make that choice. And I don't say that as a superhuman. I say that to tell you, you've got to stop the video. You've got to hit pause, hit stop. Yeah, don't hit, don't hit pause, hit stop. Take the DVD out, throw it into the fire, okay? You've got to then do this. You've got to realize that you thinking about it will not change it. You thinking about that harm that they did to you is not going to make it any better. So then you've got to do what I just demonstrated to you. You've got to start dwelling on the good. 
Pastor, what I suffered was so devastating. How can I find any good? You've got to make the choice to dwell on the God of the promise. You've got to make the choice to, and there's, I don't have a point about this today, but some of you might actually need today, instead of to ask God for forgiveness for your sins in that tone, you may need to tell God that you forgive him for the hurt that you assume that he's the one who caused or you were in a fog and couldn't figure out how to get out of it. You've got to dwell on what is good. You've got to set your mind on that which is good. And then you've got to ask God to give you strength to withstand the onslaught of the attacks that happen in your mind. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't get lazy. Forgiveness is a conscious act of the human will. It has to be chosen. Number two about forgiveness. It is choosing to release your bitterness, your resentment, your vengeance, and your anger toward the person who has hurt you. Anybody can say the words, I forgive you. But everyone has a challenge later on walking that out, not dreaming of the hurt that you would love to cause them, not dreaming of the bad things that you wish upon them, right? Some of you smiling really big, Sean. I see it, okay? He's probably thinking football teams and enemies and all that kind of stuff. But the whole idea is we start plotting and planning in our minds what we will do, but this is forgiveness is choosing to release our bitterness, our resentment, and all of that stuff In a judicial sense, when someone is pardoned or acquitted in a court of law, you might not know this, but they can't be brought in on charges for the same thing again, for the same offense. It's called double jeopardy. You can look it up and you can do some searching. So when you choose to pardon your offender by forgiving them, you are letting go of your right to punish them for the same offense in the future. Somebody ought to get their phone out and take a picture. If you would walk in this, thank you, Don, that's good. If you would walk in this forgiveness, if you would walk in it in this way, I'm telling you, you're healthy, your your spiritual life will be more healthy than you've ever had it before. Your connection with God will be deeper. Your connection with people, even those who haven't harmed you, will change for the better. God guarantees it. He literally does in his word talk just about that. So we've got to understand that we've got to let go of our right to punish them. So let me tell you, if I tell you what forgiveness is, let me tell you what it's not. And this is going to help a lot of you. We even talked about it in youth at Next Gen this past Wednesday and talked about the story of Joseph and how he needed to walk in forgiveness. Listen to this. Forgiveness is not an emotion or a feeling. It is a conscious act of the will. I said this recently, I'll say it again because I felt it a few minutes ago as I was standing here worshiping. Some of you look like worse than you're in a funeral in worship. And I I don't know that because I looked at you. I know that because I sense it, okay? I'm standing in the front. I can't see everybody's faces. Here's the deal. You may not totally understand or agree with all of the lyrics because maybe your heart isn't right where you think it should be, but you've got to choose to worship regardless of how you feel. 
It's a choice. You've got, to, you've got to choose to worship the God of all creation. So I say this again. Forgiveness is a conscious act of your will. It is not an emotion or a feeling. Emotions or feelings will trip you up in the forgiveness process if you're not careful. Here's another thing forgiveness is not. It is not reconciliation. I want you to understand this because reconciliation may follow forgiveness, but you can forgive an offender without reestablishing a relationship. You don't have to be best friends again. You don't have to mend that relationship in all cases. Yes, the scripture is clear. And if you look it up, there's an awesome place in the New Testament that Paul says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation because God's point is to restore relationship. But it is not always possible in the here and now. So forgiving is not reconciliation. It is simply me choosing in my mind to say that person even though they harmed me and hurt me, and it really is true, it's valid, I understand all of that, but I choose not to hold it against them. That's what forgiveness really is. So it's not reconciliation. Yes, you should if you can, but this is not always possible. Another thing forgiveness is not, it's not based on the wrongdoer's actions. Well, Meg didn't come up to me and apologize, so I'm not going to forgive her. I'm just going to move right on. (laughs) No, I mean, I talk to kids about this, but here's the deal. We as grownups act like children when it comes to forgiveness too, because we say, oh, well, I got my feelings hurt and they haven't apologized. Well, ha, see you later. No, choose to walk in forgiveness regardless of their actions. Why else would Jesus have said, you got to keep doing it? Because... People will hurt you. Here's another thing forgiveness is not. It's not justice. Justice usually involves the acknowledgement of wrongdoing and an apology and then some sort of recourse or, hey, you've got to do jail time, you got to pay the fine, you got to this, you got to that, whatever. Forgiveness can happen regardless of justice. So we've got to understand that forgiveness is really separate from all these things that we'd love to tie it to because what ends up happening is the enemy wants to use that for your harm and not for your good to say, well, justice was never served, so I'm not going to forgive. They're, they're connected, they're correlative, but then they are not dependent upon one another. You've got to see this. Forgiveness is not justice. And here's a big one. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness should be freely given, but trust is earned. It's been said many times before, I wish I coined the phrase, but I didn't, that trust can be earned in drops and lost in buckets. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean that I trust you immediately. Am I, is this good? I mean, this is good stuff for you today. And I have 100%, near 100%. I'm, I'm going to go with 99.9. Certainty that every person who hears this message has had a challenge in their life and they have had that challenge with forgiveness. Forgiving someone. You may have thought about them today during this message. You may have replayed 
that situation in your mind. You may feel hopeless because you say, I forgive, but they kept hurting me. I forgive, but still it, it happened again. The Bible is very clear. What Jesus says is that we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You've got to forgive one another as God has forgiven you. He's forgiven me much, which means I've got a lot more forgiveness to give. Colossians 3.13 says this. It says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, then forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Look at what 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 say. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Don't you want to be clean from all of your unrighteousness? I mean, this is, it's a powerful thing, this idea of forgiveness. And I think so often we get it wrong. We don't understand it. I want you to listen to this powerful story of forgiveness. The author writes this. She says, it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him. A balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, but then the next moment a blue uniform and a visored cap with skull and crossbones on it. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush of emotion. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me as I helped her walk, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of her skin. Betsy, my sister, and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at the camp where we were sent, called Ravensbrück. Now he was in front of me here, hand thrust out, and said to me, A fine message, young lady. How good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood inside my veins froze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your speak tonight, in your talk tonight, and you spoke of it, and I was a guard there, but since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I am here tonight to ask you this single question. Will you forgive me? I stood there motionless for what seemed like ages. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow and terrible death? Simply just for the asking? So as she lay there, or as she stood there and thought about her sister having died in that place, she said it couldn't have been but a few seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me it felt like hours and it was the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But I had to do it. I knew I had 
The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching onto my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. This, I'm telling you, the truth in this story can change and shape your life. Forgiveness is an act of the will, but the, and remember, the will can function regardless of the temperature of your heart. So as she stood there, she says, I prayed silently, Jesus help me. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but you've got to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I then thrust my hand into the one that was stretched out to me. And as I did, the most incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulders and raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my entire being and bring tears to my face. I forgive you, my brother, I cried out with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, a former guard and a former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. Here's a picture of the woman who wrote this. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. She died in the early 1980s. The name of her story that she wrote is called The Hiding Place. And she's actually visited the house in this picture and gone back. If you'll see in the bottom left-hand corner of the picture, the bookcase opens to a secret chamber where they were stashing away Jews and hiding them from those who were seeking to bring them to concentration camps. Her father was a clockmaker, and there's an amazing story that's been written by her, and they turned it into a movie. It's called The Hiding Place. I recently ordered the license for the movie to show it sometime this summer because it's such a power. I remember when I was a kid watching it and being impressed and impacted by it. But what a story of person-to-person forgiveness. And, and here we are having a hard time forgiving the person that cut us off. Right? Worship team, would you come and join me? I want to make a call today that I think is really important. I think the most important decision of your life can be made in this very moment. And that is this. As we talk about forging forgiveness, you can put that back up on the screen. Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins? That is the most important decision that you can make. That step that has to be taken that says, I do believe that you love me, that you sent your son to die for me, that he rose from the dead and that he can come alive in me and be my savior and my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me and clean me. I'll walk with you. If you have not, then you should do that today. Would you stand with me? At the end of our service, we do what we call a worship encore where the worship team plays another song. But I want to give you an opportunity today because I believe that many of you are believers. Many of you are believers here today. You've asked God for his forgiveness and you are saved, truly saved. You're walking with him the best you know how, but you've struggled with forgiveness because you have lived in unforgiveness. I want you to take inventory of your heart right now. 
and of your life. It's been said that when we hold something against someone in unforgiveness, it's like wishing that they would die, but we're taking the poison. Because it really does. If I have unforgiveness in my life towards someone, it will affect my marriage, even if that someone's not my wife. It will affect my job relationships. It will affect not just my coworkers, but my kids. It'll affect every... And you say, well, how is that possible? It's very possible because your life is intertwined and should be intertwined with the grace of Jesus, helping you to see how much you've been forgiven of. So I want to challenge you today to choose forgiveness rather than bitterness rather than anger and rather than resentment. I close with this single thought and the goal of the worship team being up here is not for us to just sing another song to end, but for you to actually take a moment of private prayer right where you are and say, Father, help me to forgive and fill in the blank. You can forgive someone who's dead and gone. The point is for you today to have a moment with God and say, God, I need your help and your strength to forgive again. So choose forgiveness today. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us today. If there's anyone here who has never asked you to forgive them of their sins and committed their life to you, Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, they would make that choice and pray a simple prayer that says, God, help me. I believe in you. I'm a sinner and I need you. Forgive me, wash me, and I will live for you. God, for the majority in this room who are believers, I pray today that for the situation we've been thinking about, the name that kept coming to our head, that Lord, that you would help us today to again forgive and to understand that forgiveness is a process. It's not one and done. It's 490 plus times. Lord, I stand here today so thankful for the debt that I owed and could not pay. You paid that debt for me. Freely I've been forgiven. So Lord, we have been forgiven today by you and I pray that you would help us to extend forgiveness to those around us. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, is my song. Cause you are good, you're good. Oh, yes, you are good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good.